You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. As always, good to see you today. All right, what's going on? Still a couple of people finding their seats. Some people actually leaving. So, by way of introduction, this is one of those sermons that can be hard to listen to. Welcome. This is one of those sermons that can be hard to listen to and even harder to apply. This is one of those sermons that you can sit in here and nod your head, yeah, and find it very difficult to apply it when we're out there. At least that's true for me. Now, I know a lot of us came here today with things on our minds. And actually, even myself, once here, we heard other things. And I'm telling you, are you looking at me? They're going to vie for your attention while I'm speaking. And you have a choice. You can either not let them gain your attention and listen, or you can give into it. Think about the things that are on your mind and not benefit from what God has to say today. It's your choice. I know because I have things trying to come into my mind that I want to think about, but I can't think about them right now. There'll be a time to think about them. Do you understand? The text today is the same as last week. That's why nobody's going to come to the mic and read. Acts chapter 14, 1 through 19. We've had it read to us now the last two weeks. We'll forgo that reading today. Just know that Paul and Barnabas faced opposition and persecution in all three cities that are mentioned in that passage. Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And by the way, for you geographical geography buffs, That's all in modern-day Turkey, and those three cities still exist today. One of them is a very thriving city. The other two just... mm. Last week's title was A Biblical Mindset Towards Opposition and Persecution. And this week's title is A Biblical Mindset Towards Opposition and Persecution, Part 2. And I've been questioning myself, like maybe some of you have, why this topic. There's a purpose in this two-part miniseries, which I was talking with Steve Robinson today, and we're both thinking there may have to be a third part to this. But there's at least two, and I'm not sure what we'll do next week. But for some reason, God is bringing this topic, God is addressing this subject matter with our church and with the church today in the United States. The purpose is to help us develop a proper, biblical mindset towards opposition and persecution. And although nobody may be threatening to cut your head off right now for following Christ, there are plenty of things coming against you that have their origin in the demonic. That are of the enemy's plan, not God's plan. We want to think properly. We want to think biblically. We want to think rightly towards these things. 
Like I said, they're going to try and vie for your attention right now, and you have to willfully put them out of your mind, or you'll miss what God has to say. And there won't be another opportunity. There may be other opportunities, but you won't have this opportunity again. Now, if we think about these things rightly, we'll respond rightly. Think about it wrongly, we will respond wrongly. Think rightly, respond rightly. Think wrongly, respond wrongly. Now, our primary text is that, is that passage in Acts chapter 14, but we've been working out of 1 Peter 4.12. You should have this memorized by now. Don't be surprised, dear friends, at the fiery trials you are going through. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials we are going through, although they are very unpleasant. This does not diminish the painfulness or the unpleasantness of it. It just tells us how we should view it so that we can respond properly to it. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. And it would be nice if they would come in ones, but they never come in ones. They come in waves. Don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. Just an FYI, an informational, factual type thing. There's three entire books in the New Testament that were originally addressed to believers suffering severe persecution in the area of what is today Turkey. Three books addressed just to that topic. Now, of course, there's other things, many other things that run through those books, but they were written to believers who were undergoing severe persecution in what is now Turkey. Those books are Hebrews, James, and 1 Peter. Those three authors felt the need, felt it was a desperate enough situation. They needed to, to write to these Christians who were suffering to encourage them, to strengthen them, to inform them. Coping with opposition, coping with persecution is one of the primary themes of each of these three books, Hebrews, James, and 1 Peter. The first lesson or principle, that was last week. We're not going to stay here. Expect it, anticipate it. In developing a mindset towards opposition and persecution, the first lesson is we need to expect it and not be caught off guard and not think that something unusual or abnormal is happening or God has moved. Often, maybe always, the more we undergo opposition and persecution, the closer God is. It says the Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit. Having this attitude of expecting it, anticipating it, being ready for it, might not lessen the pain at all. Might not lessen the suffering at all. But it will allow us to not be shaken. It will allow us to not respond wrongly to it and get ourselves in further trouble. Which, unfortunately, we do both. We allow ourselves to be shaken, and we respond wrongly. 1 Peter 4.12 again this week. Different words emboldened. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. We covered that. Instead, be very glad. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. This week, in developing a biblical mindset towards opposition and persecution, we have a second lesson. Be very glad. Yep. You heard it correctly. It's not a mis mis misprint. It wasn't interpreted incorrectly in the scripture. That's what Peter, the apostle, who knew a lot about suffering for Christ, wrote. Be very glad. Many versions use the word rejoice. Therefore, the second lesson or principle 
when you're facing opposition and persecution is to rejoice. Did you hear that? Rejoice and be glad in it. Okay, in my mind, to expect it and to anticipate it, that's one thing. But to rejoice and be glad in it? Not too many amens on this point, is there? What does that even mean? Rejoice and be glad when you're suffering. Rejoice and be glad when you're facing opposition and persecution. We're going to see of any kind, but especially when it comes on us because of following Christ. And basically, those things that might not even seem related to us following Christ actually are because Satan's instigating those things to try and get at us. This is totally foreign to our way of thinking, to our mindsets in Western culture. Listening? We spend most of our time, much of our time, much of our energy, much of our finances lessening pain and suffering and seeking out comfort and convenience. That's a good place for an amen. That's the way Western Christianity lives. That's the way we grew up in Christianity. We try to avoid it at any cost. We don't like the unpleasant. We don't like pain and suffering. We don't like train, trials and tribulations. We don't like adversity. And all of these things that I just mentioned are embodied in opposition and persecution. So what do you even mean? Be glad and rejoice in it. That's a great question. So let's take a look at the words that are translated this way. First, what it's not. What it doesn't mean. To be glad and rejoice does not mean feel-good happiness, which is pretty much, pretty much what American society seeks after. Feel-good happiness. Happiness is something we feel. Happiness is something we feel when everything is going well. It's completely dependent on circumstances. Favorable circumstances, we happy. Unfavorable circumstances, we sad. We down, discouraged, depressed. Just sort of a friend, just this morning, I was telling you how things, things try to bombard you and come into your mind. And just heard this morning that a friend of our boys and a whole crowd that they ran in high school died Thursday night of an overdose. Because we're seeking happiness. We're seeking to feel good. That's what that's all about. Constantly looking for, constantly living for happiness, trying to be happy. And it's a roller coaster ride through life. We're up when things are good, we're down when things are not. That's what I lived for before I came to know Christ happiness, feel good. I was always up and down, I was always tossed around by every new set of circumstances. I had no stability in my life before I came to know Christ. And by the way, again, fellas and all of us, that's what addiction is all about. We want to feel good. We want to feel happy. We want to escape from reality. And unfortunately, as we learned two weeks ago, the reality of life is trials and tribulations, suffering, opposition, and persecution. Not all the time, obviously, but it's a reality in life that we must go through. The faster or quicker we learn to embrace that, the better off we will be. I know this sounds totally foreign to our thinking, and it's hard for me even to preach it. But we must embrace it rather than avoid it. I think this illustration comes later, but I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll want to say it now. 
When I was in the hospital in November, and our church was rocked, and you know that whole thing, I'm not going to rehearse it, but one of the things that God spoke to me was, don't serve these troubles. Don't serve what you're experiencing. Make it subservient to you. Make it work for you. And he began to change my mindset towards the difficulties. Make them work for you. Make them end up a benefit for you. God has a promise on that, right? God promises to work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So instead of trying to get out of it, instead of avoiding it, embrace it, walk through it with the Lord, and make it serve you. Don't serve it. It will try to destroy you. Don't allow it. Grow from it. If you want to like, throw it back in its own face, bring it back on its own head. Somebody made a statement that Satan may have wished that he never perpetrated on the earth the things he has for the last two years because God's going to make him pay. So when trouble comes into our life, yes, we have to walk through it. Yes, it's painful. Da-da-da. But make it sorry it ever came against you. That's an attitude that's easy to have up here preaching. Not quite as easy to have when you're walking through it. But it's true. Amen? Amen. Feel-good happiness is not what our words mean that are translated be glad and rejoice. They mean something else. So what is it? It means to be joyful. It means to be full of joy. And there is a world of difference between joy and happiness. It means to be joyful. It means to be full of joy. And joy is this deep sense of well-being. When I was in the hospital and it was touch and go for a little while, although I had already been assured by God that I was going to make it through, there was just, I was not, the joy was there. It was just this deep sense of well-being and knowing that I'm going to be okay. That doesn't mean I'm going to live. It means I'm going to be okay. It's unshakable. It's not easily moved. It's not rocked by circumstances. Happiness is, joy is not. Joy is this knowing. And, you know, I can't explain it to you, but I can tell you that it's real. Many of you have felt it, so you know. But if you haven't felt it, you don't know it yet. There's this very real knowing deep in your being that everything is all right. Everything is well. All is well. Everything's going to be okay, despite and regardless of your circumstances, that would seem otherwise. And many of you are facing things right now, and the jury's still out on, how, on the outcome. But we need to get to this place where it doesn't matter. Those circumstances do not matter. Rejoice and be glad. You know, it's so hard to preach this because it's so foreign to our thinking. But rejoice and be glad in it. And something that we all desire, every human being desires, is that deep sense of knowing everything's okay. I mean, it's covered up by all these strongholds in our thinking. It's covered up by all these masks that we wear, no pun intended. It's covered up by the facade that we put on as we go through life. But deep inside, we were created to have this joy in the Lord, this knowing that everything is okay and everything is all right, no matter what. God promises that to his people who will obey his word. Be glad and rejoice in it. It's there for the taking. The trouble is, it's hard to take. We don't take it. And, of course, it's only possible because of Christ Jesus. It's only available in Christ. I knew none of this before I knew the Lord. I had no experience of this before I knew the Lord. My life was not outwardly, if you knew me, you wouldn't have known this. My life was a shambles, and I was a wreck inside. To be glad, to rejoice, to be joyful, to be full of joy, it's not dependent on the circumstances of life. That's why we're told, 
And that's why Peter tells us, rejoice and be glad when you experience these fiery trials of life. Also, this is a very good place to pay attention, although it's one of those things that will be hard to hear, harder to apply. The verb be glad, the verb rejoice is in the imperative, it's in the imperative sense. Anybody remember from grade school grammar class what that means? It's in the imperative sense. An imperative is a command. It's not optional. It wasn't a suggestion. It's a command from the Lord through Peter. When you fall into various trials, don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. Be glad and rejoice in it. It's a command. And I had this thought, and I put it in here, and I took it out. But since it came back into my mind, I'm going to say it. What is sin? The working definition of sin. Well, the opposite of God's will. Yep, that's, that's good. It's often expressed as sin is breaking God's what? Command. And we're commanded to rejoice and be glad in trials and suffering and opposition and persecution. So if we don't, then what? We're breaking the command and we are, we're in sin. I don't think it's one of those things we're really quick to confess. confess man, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I sinned. I, didn't, I wasn't glad and I didn't rejoice in what I've just went through. Because we don't see it like that. Because our mindset is, this is just something abnormal that happened. It's, it's something in life and i got to get through it and get on. God's not really in it. He has nothing to do with it. Wrong. God is in every circumstance that comes into your life. Every one of them runs by him before it hits you. There has to be a change of mindset. Before we can ever respond rightly, we have to think about it rightly. Easier said than done. I feel, I feel rather hypocritical preaching this. Because I love comfort and convenience. And... You finish this. Persecution, we're not too crazy about. God's people, followers of Jesus, are commanded to not be surprised, not to think it's strange. Rather, instead, rejoice and be glad. So I want to close this out with some verses. Yeah, this, this is an Apostle Paul thing. I'm saying we're closing, and now we're going to go on for a little while. But I want to close with some verses that relate to rejoicing in opposition and persecution. And we'll begin this week, the same as we began last week, the teachings of Jesus on the matter. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you. And this one is mind-boggling. When people falsely say all kinds of evil against you, one of the hardest things to take is to be unjustly accused of something. And yet Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Jesus uses the same Greek word that Peter used. Don't be moved. Don't be shaken. Rather, rejoice and be glad. A deep sense of joy, a knowing in the Lord that all is well. Know deep in your being everything is okay. This teaching of Jesus on opposition and persecution, believers are to rejoice and be glad. Now, he was telling his disciples that in Matthew. He was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I wonder if they got it. Do you think they got it? you think his disciples got this? Jump over to Acts. They called in the apostles and they had them flogged. Flogged is to be beaten with a bullwhip type instrument that's intended to rip the skin off of your back to cause infection, to cause, cause deep infiltration into your body. So the apostles and disciples, they were called in and they were flogged. 
because they had been preaching in the name of Jesus. And then the officials ordered them to never again speak in this name, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council. You say it. I'm going to say it again, and you, you do the, the bold, bold type. The apostles left the high council that God had counted them worthy to disgrace for the name of Jesus. You think they got it? Yeah, they got it. Flogged, violent blows to the body with a bullwhip. I said that. Usually on the back. It's meant to lacerate the skin. It's meant to inflict pain and suffering. Ouch. They figured that a human being could withstand, could not withstand any more than 39. At 40, you died, so they'd give them 39. And then leave them to see if they lived or died. If you didn't die from the bleeding, you probably died from infection. This was no mildly annoying persecution like some of us have faced. This was the real deal. Yet look at their response. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer for him. Now there's the teaching of James. He's, that's not James the apostle. He was killed early on. He was beheaded for his faith. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, that wrote the book of James. Listen to what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for what? One person answered. Let's do it again. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. You will be complete, needing nothing. Now remember, James is one of those three books, so was 1 Peter, that was written to the people who were suffering persecution in the Turkey area. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. The word joy is simply the noun form of our word rejoice. Troubles of any kind, well, that's going to include opposition and persecution. James writes in agreement with Jesus and Peter. Now we have a teaching of Paul on the matter. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. There's our word again. Rejoice. Be full of joy, be glad at all times, in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation, including when we face opposition and persecution for his name. An example from the Apostle Paul. To the church at Colossian, he, he formed a church in, in Colossus, still all in that, that Turkey, Greece, all in that area of the world. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. That's a different mindset. Paul somehow learned, because it's not natural, we learn it. Paul somehow learned to rejoice in sufferings. I'm far better than I ever was, but I'm so far from where I should be in this matter. I at least see these things come at me and I have the knowledge of what I should do. The next step is to do it. If you know anything about the life of Apostle Paul, of the Apostle Paul, he suffered greatly for Christ. Acts 14 alone, we just read it. He, what, the last two weeks, he was stoned and he was dragged outside the city and left for dead. Believers gathered around him. Look, it seems like they prayed for him. It doesn't say that, but then he got up and he went back into the city and he started preaching again. If I do preach again on persecution next week, it's going to have to be on perseverance because that's the next step. And maybe this will suffice to just say it now and move on next week. Expect it and anticipate it. Rejoice and be glad in it, then persevere through it. Don't give up. So I don't have to preach on it next week. You got that. That would be the whole gist of that message. We'll move on. But we're not finished. God's not finished with us yet this week. I would love if you would read about the experiences that the Apostle Paul had. There's long litanies, lists of things that he went through. And he lists them as he served Christ in kingdom work. They're found, one of them is found in 2 Corinthians 4. You can look that up in your own time. 
The reason I'm saying this is because Paul had the credentials to school us on this. He's been there, done that, and now can teach us. Now, one other thing in our closing, I want to go back over each of those verses that we just looked at to pull out the reason why we can rejoice. Are you a person who asks why a lot? I don't mean why did this happen. I don't ask that anymore. God never tells me. But I ask, why, why do you want me to do this? Why is this? And so if God's telling us to rejoice and be glad in, in suffering and persecution, which is totally foreign to the way we think, there has to be a reason why, right? And there is. There's tremendous benefit for us in it. And that's what I want to show as we close. There's benefits that, that apply to this life right now, in the here and now. And there's benefits that apply to the life hereafter when we get to heaven. There's two earthly benefits and there's two eternal benefits for when we respond to adversity correctly. And another thing I feel I have to say, it's not in the notes. Adversity in itself does nothing for you or me. Two people can go through adversity and come out the other side, and one's completely changed and one's still who they were before. What changes you is how you respond to the adversity. What changes us is how much we allow God to use that tool in our life. Now, again, this is at the end of the message, but I'll say it now. It popped into my mind. There is a book that if you can get a hold of it, it might not be in print anymore. I think I have it on the screen, so you'll see it later. Don't Waste Your Sorrows is the name of the book. It's written by a person named Paul Bilheimer. He also wrote Destined, to the Throne, Destined for the Throne, two great books. And the premise or the treatise or the theme of both of those books are what suffering does for us if we embrace it, if we respond to it correctly. Don't waste your sorrows. We have wasted many of our sorrows. We have wasted many of our trials, and we did not let them improve us. Many of us went on to just get in trouble again. Is there an amen to that? We didn't learn from the first time. And that's the other thing. If we don't learn the first time God puts us through it, he may give us a brief respite, but he'll put us through it again. Because he loves us so much, he wants us to learn it because it's good for us. Not him. He hates to see his children suffer. But it's good for us. And he knows that one day, much sooner than we think, it's all going to be over and it's all going to be worthwhile. Paul said, my light and momentary afflictions. And if you read the life of Paul, they're hardly light and they're hardly momentary. My light and momentary afflictions have worked for me a far greater weight of glory. We need to change a mindset on how we face life. Hopefully not because something doomsday is coming, but just so that we grow and we become more like Christ. I honestly am not expecting something doomsday ish to come. If I had to say, and Lord forgive me if I'm wrong, if I had to say why he's bringing these messages to us, I could at least say I don't think it's because he's saying, you better buckle up because it's coming. I don't sense that. I really don't. It could, but that's not what I'm sensing. Yeah, good. Because <laughs> why? Because we're not too crazy about it. So let's go back to our original text, First Peter. You know the verse. In here is an earthly benefit. Suffering for Christ, suffering persecution and opposition makes us partners with Christ. W what does that mean? Listen closely. If this is the desire of your heart, this is going to be very meaningful to you. And if you really don't care, you're not going to find this meaningful. The word partner or participate in some versions is koinonia, which you may know means intimate fellowship, intimate relationship. There is a sense Jesus is never closer than when we're suffering for him or because of kingdom work. Did you get that? There's a sense that Jesus is never closer. Now, he is close, so it's an awareness on our part. He didn't move closer, but we're becoming more aware of him. 
There's a sense he's never closer. We're never more aware of him than when we're suffering for him. There's a special sense of God's grace and God's presence given to those who suffer opposition and persecution for his name. Two of those aspects of grace in his presence are joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding. Many of you and me, we struggle with anxiety. We struggle with worry. Joy unspeakable and peace understanding drives that out of our lives. Paul said in Philippians, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, we all say yes to that. Amen. We all want to know his power flowing through us. But he didn't end there. And we usually do. We usually stop there. But it goes on to say, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's what we're talking about today. That oneness that we experience when we're suffering for him. It's going to take a change of mindset because we don't think like this. This is not Christianity 101 that God's bringing us these days. We're in the advanced course. There's something about suffering for Jesus that makes us seem, feel, be aware that we're one with him. We're partners with him. Now, James had something to say. This is another earthly benefit. When you go through troubles of any kind, consider great joy, blah, blah, blah. Your endurance will grow. Let it grow. You need endurance. I need endurance. Why do we need endurance? Because if we don't have endurance, we bail as soon as it gets tough. God can't do his work. So he has to wait till we recover and then put us in it again. But if we have endurance and we go through it and he can accomplish what he wants, that's less pain on us. Is this making sense, Joel? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to like it. I'm just asking if you make, it's making sense. Trouble, suffering, opposition, persecution, they somehow make us more mature if we respond properly. The goal of the Christian life is to become mature. It's to become a mature believer. Uh, we've kind of lost sight of that. But that's the goal, being conformed to the image of his son is the goal for all of us. Because maturity is, in essence, just becoming more and more like Jesus. Scripture actually says, Jesus became who he was through what he, anybody? Suffered. Jesus became who he was. I mean, he was the son of God, all of that, he never sinned. But earthly speaking, as a human man. He became who he became through suffering. Becoming more and more mature is simply becoming less and less self-centered. Jesus was completely selfless. We are not. That's the ultimate maturity. Selflessness. That's why per perfect love never gives a thought to itself, only others. And that's one of the purposes of trials, troubles, persecution, on and on. To make us more selfless, more Christ-like, more like Jesus. So this is just an opinion that I have. Been a Christian for quite a while, so it's been formed over the years. Um, at the Elizabethtown Church especially, here too, we have had missionaries come and go. We've had many missionaries come through the churches I belong to, Deb and I, we've had many experiences with missionaries. We've had them to our house, blah, blah, blah. Now, this is, this is a general statement, not all-inclusive, but an observation I've made about missionaries is they seem so more mature than we Western Christians. There's a level of maturity about them that you don't quite see in the church. Uh, there's exceptions. Don't get me wrong. It's a general statement. It's an observation I made. And I've been thinking about it. Why do the missionaries that come back always seem to be so mature and have such a mindset towards life, such a biblical mindset towards life? Well, first of all, I think it's because they gave up so much more than many of us. But there's a second part. They suffered much more than any of us. And that suffering has matured them, most of them, because they allowed it, because we mature through suffering. 
I think we have matured greatly over the last two years because we have suffered greatly over the last two years as we've battled COVID and lockdowns and mandates and, and stuff happening in our lives and stuff happening in our church. And as we've had to, been forced to walk through these last two years, we have matured greatly in this congregation. Suffering causes maturity, causes us to become more like Christ, which is the goal. And it's not just the goal, the end, so that we're just more like Christ because God could do that in heaven. It's because the more we're like Christ, the better we can serve him here, the more effective we are, because we're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about others. One of the greatest things that hinders kingdom work is we think more often about ourselves than we do about others. And that's why we're not out there on kingdom work. Paul made a statement that the love of Christ in him compelled him to live the life he lived. He had to tell people. He had no rest. He had to tell people about Jesus. He was driven by this love of others. And the more he suffered and the more mature he came, became, and he even made that crazy statement, this is so good, I want to know more of it. I'm not there. I'm not asking for more of it just yet. But I know that he's right. The more we face these things, the more mature we become, the more effective we become. Yeah, I know you're all sitting there looking at me like, you have lost it, man. Do as I say, not necessarily as I do. Now, there's two eternal benefits from this stuff as well. Jesus gave us one in Matthew. Great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad when you come into these things because great is your reward in heaven. An eternal benefit. Believers who suffer for Christ will be greatly rewarded in heaven. Great is your reward. You say, well, don't we all get rewards in heaven? Yes. But. It's always that but, isn't there? Yes, but. Scripture seems to teach that there are differing rewards in heaven for faithful believers. And one of those rewards, distinguished rewards, is related to when we suffer opposition and persecution for his namesake and we respond properly. There's a great reward laid up in heaven for us who do that. We all get rewards but there are going to be levels, there are going to be differing amounts. Depending on how we live this life, once we became a Christian. Jesus also reminds us, hey, when that happens to you, and this is difficult to think about, but it does help, if you can. When that happens to you, you are in good company. He says, remember, they did it to all my, cho my choice prophets. All my choice servants suffered for me. That's why we're the exception in Western civilization. That's why I wouldn't be surprised, although I'm not really expecting it, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets tougher for the Christian church in America because we're the exception to the rule over the centuries. All God's people have suffered for him, have had to suffer for him. Today, Have you heard the name Pastor Arthur Piotrowski? Anybody? He's in solitary confinement in Canada. Canada. One of the free countries of the world. Because he traveled to the truck convoy and he preached a sermon to them. And he gave them communion. And at the end of the service, he told them to hold, hold the line. And he was hauled off to prison and he was put in solitary confinement on February 8th. And he's still in there. Many pastors in Canada, not China, they both begin with a C. Many pastors in Canada are in prison today because they opened their churches during COVID. 
Paul gives us another eternal benefit of rejoicing, of, of responding properly in persecution and opposition. And it's in the middle of this long verse, a glory that vastly out, outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at our troubles. We do, but we're not supposed to. We don't look at our troubles, and it doesn't mean we don't deal with them. They need dealt with, but it means we don't get fixed on our troubles. You've heard me say so many times, when you get, when we get, when I get into a horizontal focus, I'm in trouble. I need to have a vertical focus. My eyes need to be fixed on him as I deal with the horizontal. I had a pastor who once told me, he discipled me, and he said, when I lose my determination... When I get my gaze off, off center, I'm in big trouble, and I have found that in my life. When I lose my determination, when I lose my perseverance, when I'm looking at the wrong things, I get myself in trouble. And Satan is quick to take advantage of it. You give him an inch, you've heard that, foot in a yard quickly. I don't really know what an eternal weight of glory is. I just know that it's good. And it's something to desire. Again, don't we all experience glory in heaven, Pastor? Yes, we do. But just as there are differing rewards, there's differing levels of glory. Whatever that's going to look like. Don't worry. If you're in, you're good. But you still have the opportunity because you're alive to lay these things up for yourself in heaven. These great rewards and this level of glory. As long as we're alive, we can be building that. It's like as long as you're working, you can be paying into Social Security and get a larger benefit. As a Christian, we live for him. We can be laying these things up. There's differing rewards. There's differing levels of glory. And there's a special level of glory for those who have suffered opposition and persecution, who've responded to adversity and trials properly. Let's close with this. We just had a mini-series on opposition and persecution from Acts 14. And we began with the reality of it. It is real. From Genesis chapter 4, when Cain killed Abel, to the present in Canada and around the world, God's faithful people are experiencing opposition and persecution for his name. If they hated me, said Jesus, why are you surprised that they hate you? If they persecuted me, said Jesus, why are you surprised that they're persecuting you? It's a reality of life on earth for followers of Christ. Therefore, because of that, we need to develop a proper biblical mindset towards it. Don't be surprised or caught off guard when it happens. Rather, rejoice and be glad. We must learn to embrace the trials. We must learn to embrace the adversity. We must learn to make it serve us and not become subservient to it. When we do that, we will begin to ex experience an unprecedented sense, intimate sense of oneness with Christ. We will begin to become unbelievably mature in the Christian life and better equipped to serve him out there, which is always the end game for us now, the church on earth today. Go and make disciples. It lays up great reward for us in heaven, and somehow there's an eternal weight of glory that not everyone will have, in heaven because we responded properly in these things. Thank you for listening to a very tough word. And I'll have a stand at this time and have the band come forward. Steve, as the band starts to get settled, will you come to the mic and pray? And Ron, will you turn the monitors on so we can hear Steve pray up there? Thank you. today and we praise your name father we want to thank you for the word that you gave us today through our pastor as I hear that word I think about all the things that are happening in our world today and in our nation the pandemic wars 
killings, disease, murder, just so much evil happening. And the world wants us to worry about it and wants us to give in to it, to suffer it. They want us to seek help in the world. But our help, our help, Father, comes from you and you alone. You strengthen us that we can make it through these times and these struggles and these trials. You are our strength. You are our foundation. You are the rock that we stand on. And no matter what comes up, Father, comes up against us, you will always be there for us. You are always close to us. Father, as I was here listening to the word today, this message that the pastor had for us, I think of Job, the book of Job, Father, and the trials and all that he went through. And when I think of that, I think about the first part of that where the, the devil comes into the presence of the Lord and the Lord asks him, what have you been up to? And he says, I've been running to and fro through the earth. And God allowed him to put trials and persecution upon Job. And I think the reason, what I hold on to is God knew his son Job. He knew Job's strength. And that's what I hold on to, Father. When I go through trials and tribulations and whenever any of us, I pray that when all of us go through these things, when the enemy puts whatever it is that he puts up against us, the reason our God allows it is because he loves us and he knows that we are strong enough to make it and we will become stronger because of it. And we thank you for that, Father. We thank you that you love us and you trust us that much. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to grow us and strengthen us and we become more like your son, Jesus. And in his name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.